lights, camera, we're going live. Learn the ins and outs of live events from today's top business leaders and how to make yours epic. Here's your host, Aaron Smith. All right, welcome to another episode of Epic Live Events. I'm so excited to have Chris Kremitzos. I said that right, Chris, right? Yeah, perfect. Okay. <laughs> I was practicing before the podcast. Uh, but Chris is everything events. You have so much history when it comes to events. You're the chief creative officer uh, of the Tampa Bay Business Owners PodFest, which is coming up in your fifth year, correct? In Unofficially fifth, really. We're, qu- we're counting it as our fourth because the first year, like most things, we were just testing doing uh, local uh, localized events. So fourth year as an uh, international event. Okay, perfect. So we're going to talk about that leap. I can't wait. Uh, you also, are, you're part of The Messengers, the cre- uh, chief creative officer of The Messengers, which is a podcast or is a documentary about podcasts. So you have so much history all around podcasting events, and I can't wait to talk about PodFest, but the Tampa Bay business owners too, because I want to first talk about events to you. You have built a career, a life about putting rooms of people together. It's powerful. Obviously, you see the power of it. Can you talk a little bit about why events and why you know you, you first started even and continue to build your career just around events? Yeah, so um, I really wanted to build a community, and when you want to meet people physically, you have to do events. So I kind of, um, I used to do two local TV shows here in Tampa Bay. One was called Millionaire Mindset. The other one was called The Belief in Truth. So one was business, one was political debate. Uh, both, I mean, you know, politics are uh, centered around events. Um, so that, that one, I would get a migraine after I did the show because people never agreed. Uh, I like learning from both sides, but you always get a migraine. With the business side, I really enjoyed uh, listening and helping business owners kind of learn. But what I learned with TV was I can't really help them pass the show. So I had sent out an email to uh, my – people had opted in. Back then, that was a new concept. And I sent out an email to the about 300 people had opted in. 99 people showed up. So it goes to show you back then the power of uh, uh, email marketing. Uh, but I, 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 w- I was a TV guy, so people kind of, I had a lot of influence. So I pitched them on this idea of, hey, why don't we create a group where we could all get to know each other, meet each other, and uh, really uh, have a peer-to-peer group for business owners. And I was really uh, dejected at the end of it because most of the, I put forms out, so you would write in your credit card form right then and there. And most of them were empty, and I was about to throw them all out. And someone said, hey, man, what are you doing? I go, I'm throwing these out. No one signed up. Like, no, some of those are signed up. I guess I had convinced my brain that I failed, but the truth was I succeeded. 25 people joined. Wow. That's all I needed. I had a a regular pass for, uh, I think it was uh, 250, and then I had a VIP pass for 1,000. And the only difference was the VIP pass, you got to have uh, dinner with the speaker after we were done. Uh, But I had a lot of internet marketing friends like, you always have to have a VIP. You always have to have a high-end ticket. Believe it or not, I had four people that bought me on the th- – this is a brand-new concept. Four people bought. <laughs> so they, they like, doubled the revenue of the general uh, past uh, community members. So that money was what I needed to start. And uh, from there, I've done over 2,000 events. I've done uh, – to give you to just give you a broad frame of reference. So I've done meetups. I've done business conferences. I've done one-day conferences. I've done – and these are – some of these events are, like, the largest in our community – Uh, Some of the largest socials. I've done a poker tournament where we send someone to World Series of Poker. I've done uh, five cruises. Um, We did a fishing tournament once. 
Uh, those are off the, the only thing I probably, you would say, Hey, have you done this? I don't think I've ever done a golf event cause I'm not a golfer personally. So I just didn't want to golf, but, um, I did play with that idea, but I've done a lot of different uh, events and I've learned a lot and kind of like you, I, uh, I'm actually doing a podcast, uh, similar about conferences. So I'm, I would love to have you on mine, but yeah, I'd love to share what I've learned, uh, after 2000 experiences. Cause I always debrief myself after every single one. So I'm always learning what could I have done better. That is awesome. So I know this is like asking to pick your favorite child, but you only have one. So that's good for you. But do you have a favorite, even just type of an event to do? Yeah, there's uh, there's something we pioneered early on and it's called the strategic alliance. And uh, here's what I learned about events. People show up for the education, but they stay for the community. So, and that's what I wanted was to build a community where everybody I, I get to the point now where we do the Florida Podcast Association, which is a local thing in Florida. I won't post the education. I know that sounds crazy, but I have such a good reputation as a promoter. People know I'll deliver, but I will not post what the topic is for the month because people then show up for the topic and not for the community. So, I mean, I'm that intentional. However, I could get away with it because people know me after a thousand something, you know, all these events, they're like, all right, Chris is going to deliver. So there's a promise that's delivered when they see my name behind something. Um, so the strategic Alliance is an event where, uh, I had an actuary figure out a mathematical equation where people sit at a round table. You get an, uh, a little card that tells you which table you're going to switch to next. And within seven, um, changes of your seat, you'll meet seven people at each table. So a combined 49 people you'll meet within an hour and a half that you've never met before. And then what I love about it is, um, a lot of people are terrified about their elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. I take that out of the equation. I then prompt questions up on the screen, and it's very simple. It's like in 10 seconds, tell us your name and your business. If your business name doesn't describe what you do, describe what it is, but you only have 10 seconds. And then I have them like answer like, tell us your favorite brand and why. And then the secondary question will be like, share with us an experience uh, one of your clients had with you that profoundly impacted you. Whatever it is, I put these questions up. Some people just look at the screen and they answer what they see. So it takes out the nervousness and we, we connect an entire community within 90 minutes. Um, it's very difficult to pull off. And uh, I've done it. Uh, I used to do it with 49 people. And then my most triumphant moment was when I did it with 500 people. Um, and, and we did it successfully, which was uh, a home run for, for that. But that's, uh, I enjoy that because of the fact that uh, the community gets connected and the content is created by the attendees. I love that because it's so, I always say this too, it's the power of the room you put together and the ability for people to meet each other. Because I think a lot of times we can go to events, but I'm introverted. I'm so introverted that to put me in a cold room, I'd rather do many other things. I love that idea. What are some other ways you really work? Because that's what's going to keep you going in the long term. Like you said, I can get content anywhere. I can listen to it on videos. I can never leave my house and get sufficient content. It's the power of that room. What are some other things you're doing to make sure the quality is there? Because it's so key. So with like PodFest, um, and you, you, you've seen this, Aaron, but most conferences have the same people speaking multiple times. Okay. So that's a good and bad thing. In other words, an attendee is like, oh, I don't want to necessarily learn from the same exact 10 people every time. So what we found is uh, like in the podcasting niche, because we do PodFest Multimedia Expo, is that there's a lot of talent um, right under the surface. And some of those people, believe it or not, are more famous 
in their niches. We just don't know them in the business general niche, but in their niches are more famous than some of these 10 people. So I started featuring them and they had better business information. They just weren't known for giving that information. So what, what we did is we found them. Uh, we name our speakers contributors because I don't want them uh, being seeing themselves as better than the rest. And then we tell our speakers, um, listen, you're a contributor to this conference. Next year, you might be an attendee, and the attendees might be a contributor. So it's really important that, one, you stay for the duration of the conference. Most speakers, a lot of them leave after they speak, so the value uh, leaves right with them uh, to give back, and that this is a communal experience. This is a culture that we've built, and we really want you to be part of the culture. And nine times out of ten, people really, uh, they call us up. They're like, look. I'll be there for the two days, but I, I might miss that half day. It's good because they're understanding the importance that we made it important that they need to be there the majority of the conference. And it creates a lot of value for all the attendees, for the uh, speaker slash contributor. And that's something that we um, verbally, you got you have to tell people like, here's what you're doing. Here's what it is. Here's what our community is about. Do you understand? And if they don't, you know, I, I don't, either I don't book them for that conference. Or I won't book them for the next one. Yeah, no, I think there's power because I've dealt with that too, where it's like, oh, thanks for the speech, pace, (laughs) and they're gone. So talk a little, I want to know the leap to PodFest. So you've done Tampa Bay business owners for a while. You've done all kinds of events with Tampa Bay business owners. Can you talk about that moment that you see a need of of PodFest and you're you're the one that says, yep, I'm going to be the one to take that, and and you did. So uh PodFest actually has uh, historically been going on longer than Podcast Movement, which is another amazing conference in the niche. But uh, here's kind of how it happened for me. Uh, We did a localized workshop. Uh, We had a gentleman by the name of Steve Cherubino at a meetup. So 12 people. I I love the meetups because it's grassroots. You get to meet a lot of talent. So he talked about podcasting and the light bulb went off at the time. I was like, whoa, this is going to be huge. Um, it's growing and the trends are there and I had a TV background. So I was like, I want to do a podcast. I got home to my wife and she's like, I told her what I learned. And I said, I'm, I want to do a podcast. And she said, about what? I go, I have no clue. And then she said, but I want to do a podcast too. I go, what do you want to do? She goes, I want to power women in business. And, uh, we both came to a conclusion with a really great consultant in front of ours. He said, uh, look, at the time we were doing 150 events a year. He goes, you both can't do a podcast while you're running this business that's producing 150 events a year. It just, he goes, I, I think everything's possible, but in this, in this instance, you don't have enough time to scale uh, out. And he was hundred percent correct. So he said, what I recommend is you guys choose one of you to do a podcast and then uh, you'll figure out from there. So my wife had a niche as women uh, and there wasn't a lot of podcasts at the time about that. So I became her uh, marketing manager while she started, I noticed she had a lot of difficulty because at the time there wasn't a lot of resources or what we call podcast editors. That It was all starting to emerge. So I did a workshop in Sarasota. We had about uh, 75 people. Then two months later, I did another one in Tampa. And then one night I stood up in bed like it was one of those idea moments where you just like stand up and my wife's like, are you okay? Um, I go, yeah, I'm fine. She goes, what happened? I go, someone needs to start a national conference for podcasters. And she said something really wise at the time. She goes, you do 150 events right now. Don't you think you you might want to just think about that a little bit? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went back to sleep. (laughs) And then a month or two later, I see that uh, uh, the guys from Podcast Movement crowd uh, funded the idea. And I I was like, if you can't beat them, join them. So I bought tickets out there, love what they're doing. Uh, So at the same time, 
uh, PodFest the next year. We made it into a, a regional event, Florida PodFest. We invited people from outside the area. We had a couple, but mostly they're all Floridians. We had 110 people. The next year, uh, we had 181, something like that. It was, whatever it was, it was like 181. We had two years, 110, then 181, and that was 2016. 181, and we had a lot of people that flew in because at the time I called it just PodFest. And they all ask me the same question. They go, have you run events before? I go, why? They go, they go, you're really good. If you've never done this before, you're amazing. <laughs> I go, I've had some practice. Yeah. And then uh, I had a good friend of mine, Neil Gillarte, said, Chris, look, PodFest is an amazing brand. You do amazing things. You need to move it to Orlando because in Tampa, you're never going to attract what you want, what you think you can attract. And for me, it was a big leap of faith because up until that time, I never dealt with a convention style hotel which is a whole different ball game in negotiating and money. Um, we did move it to Orlando. We had uh, about 500 people attend. And now this next year, we're expecting about a thousand from there. I think we'll hit double after that. So you have to understand though, I bring to the table um, 10 years of experience of nonstop events and trial and error. So luckily for me, that is uh, a lot of lessons learned that helped me uh, kind of leverage my talent to, uh, uh, become what we call cash flow positive, which is very difficult for events. Yes. Like you said, jumping to the convention side is a big leap. All of that. It is, it's, it's a nightmare. I want to know, was there something else? Obviously the move to Orlando changed things for you. And now you're seeing immense growth. You kind of were, you know, smaller, staying the same. And like you said, all of a sudden it started getting big. What were the other changes you implemented that really started seeing the big change in the event? Well, so in order to uh, fill the event, you have to create multiple events around your main event. So there's pre-day conferences. So we added a, a podcasting A to Z pre-day. We had a, a She Podcast pre-day, which attracted the audience from She Podcast. We had uh, Petra Kucha, which is um, their five-minute presentations. Uh, they call Some people call it Ignite, but the, we, we were a purist forum. We started the Petra Kucha. Everybody gets five minutes. So that attracted a lot of talent. Um, we had over 130 presenters. So then their audience and their friends, um, come forward. So you have to really start planning out. And then we created an award show called the Pazzies, which are everybody's biggest screw ups. And we celebrate <laughs> podcasters biggest screw ups. Uh, so they're funny, they're irreverent, but they, um, the whole purpose of the event is to take the fear out of starting a podcast from the beginners and bonding the veterans with the beginners because for my event, I really don't like when people have class. You're always going to have people group up. So my job as a conference organizer is how can I create cross flow while they're still grouping up because it's going to happen. So that's kind of, that's kind of how we created it. And we had a little bit of um, uh, a YouTube subsection this year. We're actually expanding it to a whole pre-day event. So, you know, it's just, you got to pay attention to your audience and what talent you have under your, your nose and then just highlight that talent. Yeah. Can we talk about that evolving too? Because I know it was PodFest, like it was about podcasting. And then I see a lot more. You've added the new media expo. That was last year you had or it was? Yes, PodFest uh, Multimedia Expo. Multimedia it was, expo. It was, when we say last year, it was earlier this year, which was kind of our last year because yes. next year is our next event. Um, we... Um, 80% of what we do is podcasting related. So it's like, how does blogging relate to your podcast and vice versa? Um, however, YouTube and video, it's all converging together. So we need to always have 20% on uh, YouTube or video. And we're 
I'm thinking right now that we might spin off the uh, the video side into its own video conference. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think it's huge. I think it does go together, but I've seen you guys evolve into that. All right. You mentioned a big thing. You have cash flow positive on an event. That's huge. So I don't need to get into numbers and say, where's everything, yeah. but can we talk about the different ways you make? Cause it's not just about, we do an event, we sell tickets. <laughs> that's it. There's other ways you can bring in. And obviously this is one of the most resource intense things you can do time and money. So how do you make your money back? How does this align with your business where this does become a cash flow positive thing for you? Okay. So I'm going to go through the three legs any okay. conference organizer needs to have. Perfect. If you hit all three legs, you're going to do very well. Mm-hmm. If you hit two out of three, you might break even and make some money. Uh, if you hit one out of three, more than likely you're going to lose money. Okay. So you have your ticket sales. So your ticket sales could be um, general admission, VIP, uh, virtual tickets. So that's your one stream of revenue is ticket sales. The other sales are your sponsorship sales. So those are your tables, your name badge sponsors, your whatever you can, your Wi-Fi sponsor, whatever you can find sponsors for, that is your other thing. So if you're hitting a good numbers on your ticket sales, good numbers on your sponsorship sales, more than likely you're going to make money. Now where your margins are going to go from like 20% profit to 45 or 50% profit is uh, what we call your um, your joint ventures. So that might be you get 50-50 on a product that's being sold there. You might have a higher-end product yourself, like a community as a promoter that they could join. If you could hit all three of those legs, you're going to do very well as a promoter. The challenge is, um, and this is something beginning promoters need to know, when you're starting out, you're still building your reputation so people don't know you enough to necessarily sponsor you. So you have to create uh, trade agreements or deals where you could barter without sacrificing your price. So let's say you could say, hey, my booth is, a th- you're starting out, my booth is $1,000. Sponsor says, I don't know if I'm going to get anything. I'd like to support you, but I'm not sure. You might say, okay, well, let's do $500 and the other $500, can we do it in trade where you could, uh, you could promote this conference. So you have to start thinking about that because if the, you need to get them over to your conference because if they have a good time next year, they're putting you on their agenda and they're not negotiating with you. So um, that's kind of how a conference works. If you could hit all three, you're doing really well. Great tips. Now people, I, I've had conversations about you in a good way because you've got, <laughs> you've gotten immense compliments on how you handle sponsors because obviously you've been doing this for a while, but I've heard you're one of the best in how you handle sponsors, how you take care of sponsors. Uh, can you give some tips or tricks behind that in, you know, obviously the importance of taking care of them, but things that you do to make sure they're coming back time and time? So, yeah. So my challenge in the beginning, remember, I, I, I deal with local business owners. So local business owners are very frugal with their money because they're not traveling to go to a conference. So they're very picky. So when I would ask a local business owner to buy a sponsorship booth for three or 400 bucks, which is really not a lot of money when you think about it, they would question the value. So I had to figure out like, how can I create value? And this is what we did at PodFest. And it was all thanks to the locals being so tough on me. When a sponsor comes to PodFest, what we do is we ask them to give us a question that they want the attendees to ask them. We then laminate the question right on their booth. So it, takes away the awkward interaction of what do I ask the sponsor and the sponsor can control the conversation and the attendee is happy because they don't have to sit there awkwardly looking at the sponsor, uh, making comments of like, Oh, nice banner or whatever it is. 
Secondary, you have to incentivize the attendees. So we created a treasure map. So we make it fun. Now, some people have like a passport program. The challenge with that is uh, many times they put every sponsor on there and it does not become attainable for the attendee. So what we do is um, we created a treasure map. So we tend to put half the sponsors on it. So there's two sets of treasure maps, depending on how many attendees, you know, uh, for two reasons. We don't want the sponsors getting overwhelmed because we've done this. If they get overwhelmed, they're actually bad for business because they lose their voice and it's too many people coming at them. They want like a steady stream of quality interactions and that's what we're after. So the treasure map then tells the attendee, hey, go to these 15 sponsors and um, make sure to ask them the question on their booth and then have them sign off on this. Then um, put your, print your name on the bottom and then come to the front of the stage and we have literally treasure chests where they throw the thing into a treasure chest. What I'm going to do this year, because we'll have so many prizes, is I'll have um, certain treasure chests you can win certain prizes. So then the person could put in like, hey, I want to win Google Home Mini or you know Alexa or whatever. So then throughout the conference, I'm, I'm awarding winners, which then incentivizes all the other people that are not doing it to do it. So uh, we usually one out of two people win something. So that's very rare. Like half the people that enter will win. And then the sponsors are extremely happy because 24 seven, they're having quality interactions with the entire audience. And then I prep my organ. When I'm running the, um, the show, I make sure that the attendees know that the sponsors are part of our community and the sponsors know that they're part of this community and that we're all one big uh, family and that we need to support each other. So I actually tell attendees, if you go up to a sponsor and you know it's not a good fit for you, but you have a friend or business contact that it would be, can you please do me a huge favor and do an e-introduction and help that sponsor? Because without their support, we couldn't have this conference. Really great tips. I think it's so, uh, yeah, it's so important to keep them because it's not enough. You can't expect people to go up to the booth. You can't do that. Um, how about your ticket sales? I know you earlier mentioned the VIP option. Uh, can you give tips and tricks of how you set up your ticket sales too? Because it's not just a buy one and, and come see us. Yeah, so you, you want a general admission pass, which is your uh, lowest price usually. Then you want your VIP. So in the past, I want to just be very clear. Like um, There's times when I've been overwhelmed where I just had one ticket because it was the easiest thing for me to track. And if you're beginning and you don't want to get overwhelmed, you could grow into this. But the VIP level for PodFest, uh, and this I want to thank John Dennis, who he and I have been working together um, with PodFest, and he really has championed this. But you, you want to have um, a VIP that's at least double and a half the price of your general admission. Because there's a, le- there's a person that does not care. They want to be known as a VIP. So the, the, they want to be seen as a VIP, and then you need to give them some perks. So like, for instance, this year, we'll have a, mas- 